you remain standing for the reading of God's word. We don't all read it together. It's a very well-known verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. You may not even need to look it up. I'd say most. I will know it this morning. John 10. <clears throat> John 10 and verse 10. And when everybody's there, then I'd like us all to read it together. Amen. Praise the Lord. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Father, this morning we pray for your help, for your anointing. We know that you're here, you're among us. Lord, your presence, yourself with us. And we give you thanks this morning. Oh God, we pray that you would help us both to preach your word and to hear your word and to apply your word to your hearts. Lord, we pray that you would break bread to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would speak to hearts. Lord, even those that are halting between two opinions, we pray today, Lord, that you'd come and that you'd speak deeply in the hearts and there'd be a response in hearts to you this morning. Lives, Lord, would be surrendered. Lives would be given, Lord, to this King. Oh, God, where else can we go? And to whom else can we turn? Only you have the words of life this morning. So, Lord, anoint your word and glorify your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. I just want this to, for a few moments, uh, the Lord has just, over the past number of weeks, uh, has just been leading me in a particular area and showing me some things. I know it's come by way of revelation rather than just uh, just through effort or study, but just the Lord has been bringing things out and they're relevant to the day in which we're in. And you know that, I believe we're in a, in a place where people know that Christ is coming and he's coming very soon. And we can see the signs of that all around us. And uh, we're a church convinced and believe in the physical second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is imminent. And the Lord just uh, over the past number of weeks, uh, and we looked a wee bit at it the last time, just concerning the prophet Jeremiah. But the Lord has just been showing a parallel in the scripture. The scriptures are filled with parallels, particularly between the old and the new. And we see in that how God deals, how God works, and how God operates, if you like, uh, as we're heading towards something very significant in time and in history. And that is the second coming of the Lord. That is Christ coming for his church, for his bride. And the parallel that we'll look at this morning is the pre-Babylonian captivity and also the pre-rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. There's a parallel in Scripture. And I want to just share a few things, and then we'll start to go through God's Word together. You'll be able to pick it up as we go. But there are remarkable parallels in the rise of that Old Testament Babylonian kingdom to the rise in Scripture, of course, we know we're living in a day where there's a spiritual Babylonian system that is also rising. These, these, this is not a coincidence that the Old Testament Babylonian kingdom and the New Testament spiritual rise of a one-world order, if you like, in these last days. 
we get an insight of the very heart of God when we begin to read and see God's passion for his people. When we begin to see how God through his prophets begins as they are anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost, they are impregnated with God's word, with God's heart, and they begin to proclaim and come amongst the people of God and begin to share the very heart of God, that God's heart is for his people, that God desires to be with his people, that he desires for his people to be with him. And the prophets would come when we looked at Jeremiah the last time, and we'll look at him again. But here's a man that's impregnated with God's purpose and God's word, and he begins to cry in the into the hearts of Israel. Largely, we know Israel had backslidden at this time. They were really indifferent to the purposes of God. They never really thought that judgment could come. They were claiming their rights, as it were, uh, by the temple of the Lord. And now Jeremiah's coming and other prophets like him. They have a message from the throne of God. And really, it wasn't just that they were preaching a message, but they were actually impregnated with God's heart. These men would, would weep and they would they would call out for men to turn to God, for people and young people and older people to no longer live in a place, in a backslidden or in a different a place or a coldness or just religious activity. But these men would come and they would be so full of God and they would feel what God was feeling. They weren't just preaching good messages and they just weren't preaching a three-pointer, as we would say, but they came burdened with the Lord. They came burdened with his heart because there was a judgment that was coming. There was an end that was coming to that time. And so these men would come and God would begin to speak to the people. We read it often and we see that largely people didn't really respond. There was, there was just a nothingness. They were rejected. They were men that were put in prison. They were put in dungeons. They were mocked at. They were laughed at and so forth. And yet God would still be faithful in that witness. And God will be faithful in his witness right to the point that Christ comes. There is a voice that cries across the nations of the world. If you are tuned to it, and I believe many are, that there is a cry from God for his people to come close. There's a cry from the heart of God to leave the things and the things that would hinder us and the things of the world that leave us empty and dry. And they would cry, the prophet would cry, is there any other God, any other people in this earth that serve their gods that they've forsaken their God? And he said, but you have forsaken me, the fount of living waters. You have hewn out cisterns for yourself. They cannot hold water. And he's crying, would you come back to that which is the fountain of life? Come back to where you find life. Come back to where there's truth, where there's reality, where there's joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Come back to me. That's God. That's Christ. And often as he would cry in the streets, you know, if you get to Jeremiah chapter 5, it talks about Jeremiah. He's running to and fro in the streets and he's searching out a man or a woman. He's looking for someone that's going to turn back to God. And yet often... His search was futile. No one seemed really interested. And all the time in the background or the scene of this, 
If you look at it, and we're going to look at it for a moment, we see the rise of this Babylonian system. This kingdom was rising rapidly in that Old Testament. And the same as it was in the Old, it's the same as it is today. There is a rapid rise of a Babylonian system. The Bible tells us that it will happen. It should not be a shock or a surprise to us. The Bible has told us clearly of what will unfold. And all this time, this this, this did not happen just at the click of a finger. It just didn't happen overnight. It just didn't all of a sudden that King Nebuchadnezzar was standing at the door of King Zedekiah and says, I'm here to take everything from this house. This was over a period of time. This was over some generations that it was leading up to this point. And yet all the time, God is faithful. God is pleading. God is calling. God is speaking. God is speaking today. God is speaking this morning. God is pleading this morning with hearts to respond to Him. As we see this rise, we begin to realize that this this happened over a period of time. It's a time that probably you could call it in Scripture, the great falling away. The Bible tells us off. But it happened because there was a great compromise. There was a compromise that took place in the generations before with previous kings. And because of their compromises, that generation, the law of God's harvest, what you sow is also what you reap as a nation, as a people. Then we see as the generations began to unfold, God's purposes were going to be fulfilled. We look back even as far as King Hezekiah. That's where I want to go this morning. And we see if if I could just, rather than, I'll just tell you where he is in the line, but you have Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, and then the last king in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, you have Zedekiah. After him, the next king that would come is Jesus. 2,000 years ago, born in a manger. The similarities of the parallels are remarkable. From Hezekiah's day, and he was a good king, and Josiah, who was a good king, the last good king, but when you see the parallels of what happened as the judgment was coming, as the rise of that Babylonian system would rise up, if you turn to 2 Kings 25, I want to show you one parallel. There's many, but I just want to show you a few this morning. 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 6. By this time, God had purposed in his sovereign plan the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, would come. King Zedekiah is the king presently. And now the judgment is about to fall. 2 Kings 25 verse 6 says, So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him with fetters of brass, and carried him to Babylon. This is the, the, the final, if you like, the nail in the coffin, if you like. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 3, in the church ages, the final church you know, and I know is the church the Laodicean age, what's the similarities or the parallels that we find? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, it says this, Now remember, where is Christ? Christ is at the door. 
In the time of Zedekiah, the glory of the Lord had already departed. In Revelation chapter 3, we find Jesus at the door, verse 17. But the people said, I am rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is putting deeper and deeper into the heart of his people a great sense of we need him. We are satisfied with him, but we need him. You know, if ever as a married couple, you know, you go away, whether it's on a trip or whatever, but see very quickly, I know that I need to see Nikki and I know she needs to see me because there's a sense of not that we're disappointed with each other, but it's that we need each other. God is putting in amongst the bride of Christ a deep need in the hearts of God's people. We need him. We need the Lord. The last church, not in total, but certainly in part, is saying, I have need of nothing. And the Lord says, Knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and what are they? But they're blind. Zedekiah, the last king, there's the parable. The last thing that he seen was his two sons. They were, they were slain in front of him. His eyes are then taken out of his head and he's carried away to, to Babylon. The last church age, not in total. The last church age is blind. They've lost the ability to see. We know the verse very well. Without a vision, what happens? The people perish. We see the Lord in his patience and his kindness standing. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire that you may be rich, white raiment that thou may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness is not, does not appear. And I'll anoint your eyes with eyesalve. Why? I want you to see. I want you to have vision. I want to anoint you that the church has a vision, has the ability to see. To see what? But to see this Christ. To see him, to see the glory of God. And we know that the, at the end of the church age, the next king to come is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the rise of Babylon happens over a time and God would permit that kingdom to rise for his eternal purposes. There's a sovereign God reigning over the kingdoms of the earth this morning. That is Jesus Christ. King Jesus is on the throne. And he's ruling over the kingdoms and the affairs of all men because all power belongs to him. The Babylon of the last days is found in Revelation chapter 17. If you turn over with me for a moment, I'm not going to go too deep into it. I know I've preached on this a few times and you'll probably be well versed on it yourselves. But in Revelation chapter 17, the Bible speaks of this end time Babylonian system. This Babylonian world. This is what the Bible calls it. He calls it the mystery Babylon the great. The mother of all harlots. And the abominations of the earth. I thank God for the Bible. I thank God that God speaks clearly. He calls it what it is. It's found there in verse 5. We see a whore. That is a counterfeit religious system. It presents itself as the truth, as the way, as the life. But actually, it is indeed the mother of all harlots and the abominations of the earth. 
The Babylon of the last days, of course, it's derived from that word Babel, the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, speaking of rebellion and the desire for knowledge, the hunger and the thirst and the raw desire for man to know. We are living in such a day, Daniel says that knowledge shall increase. We are in a day, friends, where it is it is absolutely beyond our comprehension, the heights and also the depths of what man is going to in knowledge. When I grew up as a wee boy, there used to be a program on, I know I'm going to feel very old here because most people won't have remembered it. It was a program called Mark and Mindy. Anybody remember that? Would you put your hand up if you remember it? Now that's, you really feel old because most people don't remember it. You know when he used to say a, a thing, nano, nano, remember that? I don't know what it was all about. It's still trying to work it out. It was some type of comedy space show or whatever. You know, but friends, I want to tell you something. The speed at which man's knowledge and what he is developing is actually frightening. What they are developing in labs is frightening. What they're developing in this world at this time is frightening. We watched Star Trek as a kids and they used to talk to each other remotely on a TV screen. You were going like, that is amazing. You know, and today, you know, we're Facebooking or Face, what is it, FaceTiming or whatever. You can just zoom in on your watch and talk to us. This is something we'd never thought would happen. And what yesterday's fantasy was through the media is today's reality. And if the Lord tarries, what is the fantasy? I don't know what it is today. The fantasies in, in computer games and what they're doing and what's coming out in Hollywood is tomorrow's reality. What that shows you is that there is an orchestrated, organized structure that is in control of that Babylonian system. Yesterday we laughed, or years ago we used to laugh at some of the famous comedians when they dressed up as women. But today you'll not laugh and a man dressed up as a woman. Yesterday we mocked and laughed in comedy shows at men who were slightly infeminate, and we watched their comedy shows and thought it was funny. But you'll not laugh today. What they put on our screens and what they put through our televisions, our radios, and the computer games today, friends, I want to tell you something becomes a reality tomorrow. What does that show me? It shows me that there is an orchestrated structure in place. And it's part of a Babylonian system. We find in this Revelation chapter 17, there is a revived, powerful world structure incorporating all aspects of the nation systems. Commercial, technology, political, health, educational. That doesn't mean everybody in those areas are wicked or evil. God has got his believers everywhere. But the systems and the structures are completely under the control of a rise of this Babylonian system. You'll find it here in Revelation 17. You have the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit. You have the whore. And they rule over the people of the earth. And you have ten kings without a kingdom. I'm not going to go deep into it this morning. But what happens is that these combine together. There's a religious system. There's a commercial system. And there are ten kings without a kingdom. These are the elite power brokers of the earth. 
And they come together in unity for a short period of time at the end of the age. Now you might think that this is some way down the line, but I want to tell you this morning that this is right upon us. Actually, we're in it. And it's rising rapidly. Now I always come to these verses when I read this chapter very quickly. The scripture prophesies that in verse 13, they have one mind and they shall give their power and strength unto the beast. This is for one hour. This just symbolizes a short period of time. And what they do, this rise of this system, verse 14, listen, I love verse 14. When I read this, I always get to verse 14 quickly. (laughs) These shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And they that are with Him, are you with Him? Are you with Him? Moses at one point in that great journey of Israel had to say to Israel, Who is on the Lord's side? He, as it were, drew a line in the sand and said, Listen! If you're on God's side, then get across the line. But what the devil wants to do is blur where the line is. And so, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Bible says this, the Bible tells us that the Lamb shall overcome them, and they that are with Him, are you with them this morning? Are you with Him this morning? Are you with the Lord this morning? They that are with him, what are they? They're the called. Number two, they're the chosen. And they possess a wonderful characteristic that mirrors who their Savior is. They're faithful. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. Faithfulness. Faithfulness as a man or as a woman. Faithfulness as a husband or a wife. Faithfulness as a son Faithfulness as a daughter. Faithfulness in your workplace. Be a faithful servant. Be an honest servant. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your mind. And faithful to the house of God. That's a characteristic of a Christian. That's a characteristic of God. They have one mind. And here's where we are. They have one mind. They're going to make war with the Lamb but the Lamb will overcome. Friends, we're overcomers this morning. Now when did the early signs under the kings of Judah manifest that the kingdom of Babylon under the king Nebuchadnezzar would come and bring forth the Babylonian captivity? Well, there was a great compromise. Would you listen? This is so important. There was a great compromise. Compromise this is what it means. Compromise means to make concession to come into an agreement. You have to give something up. You have to surrender something in order to come into an agreement. We have heard of compromise after compromise in this country for decades now. you got to give something up. And you know what's happened? We have watched as this country, and I believe this, not in any great political way, but I've watched over these years, and if you're old enough, you've seen it, 
that time after time after time after time that this nation has compromised what is righteous and true, what is honest and what is pure, what is lawful and what is right, and we have surrendered that to make an agreement with wicked men. And that's why our nation is plummeting down deeper and deeper. They compromised. That means I have to surrender something to come into an agreement. And once I make that compromise, once I move away from the absolute authority of God's word and God's truth, and once I myself then say, well, I will compromise an area of what my conviction is placed on God's word, then I'm coming into agreement with something else. What is that? That's that Babylonian system. You know, I've heard it over the years, sadly, and it is such a sad thing that people have often come into the house of God or young people and have heard it very regularly over my Christian experience that some have come and said, you know, a lovely Christian man or a lovely Christian woman and they've come and they said, I have seen, I have met a wonderful man or a woman, but the only thing is they're not saved, but we're falling in love. So you're going to have to make a compromise from God's word that we aren't to be unequally yoked and what happens very quickly after that time and time again is that individual backslides. Why? Because they've surrendered something on the basis of God's word and they've come into an agreement. Seen it with people that have come and said, oh, I've got a new job. God's got me a job. And I'll not be able to come to church anymore. Not that church is the answer. Christ is the answer. But God has led forth that we're to come together and be part of a body. It's not going to church. It's being part of a body. And time and time, God's got me a new job. I'm going to have more money, but I can't come to church. And within months, they've slowly gone cold. Why? Because they've compromised. And so we see here we have to go back as far even as Hezekiah. If you turn over with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 19. I want to show you the parallels. I want you to see it. If you just stay with me this morning, I want you to see it. You know, the Bible and Kings and Chronicles talks of kings as being good kings or evil kings. Good kings are those that which did right in the eyes of the Lord. And then there was another group that... Evil kings, that what they did, evil in the sight of the Lord. But within the group of the good kings, there was two types of kings. There was two types of kings. There were those that wholly followed after the Lord and done everything that they were asked to do. And then there was another group that were known as good kings, but they partially followed after the Lord. They didn't fully engage or execute what God had asked them to do. They're still categorized as good kings, but as it were, they just didn't go all out. Hezekiah was one of those kings. He was a good king. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and in his reign he seen great reforms. He relied on the Lord for deliverance. He trusted in God. He was a good king, but you find there was a compromise in Hezekiah. There was a place that Hezekiah was willing to compromise on. And friends, this cost him dearly, but it cost Israel dearly. You see, we think, the Bible says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. We think that we can just go as close or even a little bit into it. But I want to tell you, sin when it's finished will always bring death. Early in his reign, we find in 2 Kings 19, and we looked at it a couple of Wednesdays ago, the king of Assyria, not 
the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria came up against him. You remember the words in verse 3, Hezekiah said, this day is a day of trouble, it's a day of rebuke, it's a day of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, but we don't have the strength to bring it forth. We don't have the ability and our strength to come against the enemy that's coming against us. And during that conflict, we know and remember, we looked at it just a while ago, Hezekiah, he rends his clothes, he gets into a place with God. There's a great army that's against him, and he knows what to do. He's brought reform, he's purified the temple, he's built those great, an engineer, the, the, the tunnels are there today in Jerusalem. He was a great mind, but then what happened was that he rent his clothes and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord came with a great deliverance for Israel. But you see, something happened that often you'll miss. If you go back in the chapter 18 and verse 13, you begin to see that there's a weakness here in Hezekiah. This is going to cost, this compromise is going to cost greatly. Verse 13 of chapter 18, 2 Kings, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, the king of, Is the king of Assyria came up against all the fenced cities of Judah and he took them. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return from me, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed on the Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now listen to what happened. Now God still delivered him after this, but listen to what happened. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. Who did that belong to? Who, who does the silver belong to? The silver's mine and the gold's mine, saith the Lord. And he gave them a silver that was in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time, look what he did. Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. He took the treasures out of God's house. The enemy was the How many people know that God's able to deliver his people? How many people know that he's a great deliverer? How many people know that he's defeated our enemy? But you see, the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so he came to Hezekiah. He was, he was afraid. It was a real army. It was a real battle. There was real things happening. And so at that time, Hezekiah says, I maybe can come into some type of agreement with the king of Assyria. I wonder if I give him the silver, the things that are precious to us as a people, to us as individuals, to us as a Christian in this world in which we're living in. If we just give something, if you just move a wee bit, just off the promises of God. Just off the truth of God. Give us something from your house. Hezekiah said, you could take the silver. Somebody give him this. Listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take the gold of the very doors. The house of the Lord. You see them going and they're taking and ripping the gold of the doors. And they're saying, this will hopefully appease the enemy. How many people know that the devil doesn't do deals? Well, even at that time, Hezekiah knew, if I get before the Lord, the Lord is going to deliver me. You know what the Lord did? He did deliver him. But what you find is there was a place in there that Hezekiah was willing to compromise. 
the angel of the Lord went out and smote them. It says a hundred and four score and five thousand. God wiped them out in an instant. Do you know what's remarkable that the scholars have found the account of the king of Assyria, the Assyrian army, that aligns with God's word, they have found the account that they kept historically of what happened when they came up and received the treasures of the house of the Lord. I want to read it to you. It's been translated for us, obviously, but I want to read just a short bit of it. It says, Then follows an account of his attack on Hezekiah, which is recorded in the following terms. Because Hezekiah, king of Judah, would not submit to my yoke, I came against him by force of arms and by the might of my power. I took 46 of his strong fenced cities, and of the smaller towns that were scattered, I took and plundered a countless number. And from these places I captured and carried off a spoil of 200,150 people, old and young, male and female, together with horses, mares, donkeys, camels, oxen, sheep, and countless multitude. And Hezekiah himself, I shut up in Jerusalem, his capital city, like a bird in a cage, building towers round the city to hem him in, raising banks of earth against the gates so as to prevent escape. Then upon this Hezekiah there fell the fear of the power of my arms. And be sent out to me the chiefs and the elders of Jerusalem with 30 talents of gold, 800 talents of silver, various treasures, rich and an immense booty, the treasures of his palace, his sons and his daughters, his men servants and his maid servants, and I carry them away. Historical accuracy to God's word. You know what they didn't record? When God came and God smote the Assyrian army. They didn't record that. Why? Because he took them all out. Would you look at the life of Hezekiah? You turn over in the second Kings chapter 20. I want you to follow it if you could. We see a weakness. We see that he's willing to compromise. Second Kings 20 and verse 1 says, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. You know, I just stopped at that and just pondered for a while. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a sickness. It's not COVID. Please don't run out the door. It's not COVID. <clears throat> I know probably everybody's had it here, but it wasn't COVID. It isn't COVID. Got Stephen Brand to pray for me last week. Thank God I've been feeling better. But I want to tell you something. When you're sick, you're weak. Not right? It's not the natural thing. When you become sick, you're weak. Whatever it is, but it weakens you in some way. It can weaken you in your mind. It can weaken your body. It can weaken you spiritually. It can weaken you. It just can sort of weigh you down. But anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been sick? Yeah. Praise the Lord. There's three who have been sick. <laughs> Amen. But it can weaken you. Hezekiah is the king. He's taken sick. People get sick, friends. People do get sick. And he's sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You know, God hears us when we weep sore. 
It came to pass afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, and the word of the Lord came again unto him, said, Turn again, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal thee, and on the third day thou shalt go to the house of the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't he a wonderful healer? I want to ask you a question. How many times have you been in that place where your back's against the wall, you're weakened, where you're down, you know that there's an ailment upon your body and you just feel so weak in yourself. God, you cry out to the Lord, you pray the prayer of faith and God has come and God heals you and God raises you up. Has that happened? Has it happened? We've got miracles sitting amongst us where God heard the cry of his people, and God comes and he brings a mighty healing. Do you know what the sad thing is? You know, I was thinking just of a couple of people over the last few years, you'll know, you'll know them. You know, one boxing night we got a call from a daughter crying on the phone, and mommy's not going to make it. She's not going to see the night through. Tim, would you come? Would you pray for her? And went up into that Ulster Hospital, into the ICU, and went into that ward, and there's that woman sitting there that says she's not going to see the night. All her organs, every organ in her body is just slowly shutting down. They say she's not going to see the morning. Would you pray? But then sat with that woman, family and distraught, and prayed just a simple prayer. And the next day, she was sitting on the chair beside her bed. You remember? I remember I visited that woman afterwards. And the surgeon had walked into that room. Do you know the first words he said when he walked into the room? He says, miracle. That's a miracle. Do you know, I sat, I just want to say this. I sat with that woman. She says, Tim, God spoke to me. I haven't lived right. I haven't been right before God. I haven't been part of a body. I've been sitting in the house watching the God channel. God's convicted me of that. I shouldn't have been doing that. I should have been in church. I should have been in God's house. God's convicted me of my tithe. I haven't been bringing my tithe to God. I haven't been faithful in those things. And I'm going to put all those things right because God has healed me. I said, praise God. That's wonderful. Friends, it doesn't matter where she comes to this church or whatever church she goes to. But I know that woman never came again to the house of God. I was thinking of that young girl just a couple of years ago. You remember God gave us a word here on Sunday morning through Andy Gray. A verse came. And I went down to that hospital with that word. And as a family are called in one after another, as that young girl's about to pass into eternity. And we go in and preach and just proclaim that verse over her wee life and took that wee hand that was freezing cold. She wasn't going to see the day. And God raised her up supernaturally. Her big partner was standing crying. Oh, I'll serve God if this is right. I thank God Stephen's here this morning because God healed him and he honors God by being faithful to God's house. We serve a great God. I can remember someone saying, I think it was Brother Clendenin, Hezekiah might regret that prayer that he made. I found that a profound thing. Remember, there's a weakness. Look at 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 12. 
God has wonderfully healed him. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12, and then it says these words. And at that time, Berodach Baladan, or Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick. I want to tell you, if you ever get a letter or a wee prezi, <laughs> there's a place for it. The letter is for the fire. And the prezies for the bin. But you see, Hezekiah had a weakness. Verse 13 says, Hezekiah hearkened unto them. And what did he do? He showed them the precious things, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all his house of armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. He said, listen, guys, so good to see you. King of Babylon, you come into my house. Thank you for the present. Thank you for the letter. It's so kind of you. I want to show you something. You come right in and I'll show you everything of the treasures of my house. There's nothing that I'm not going to show you. I'll show you everything. Look at the armor. Look at the precious silver. Look at the precious gold. Look at all that I have. You just come in. You just come in. And you can look at all of this. You can see it with your own eyes. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's a parallel. And there's a very serious one in the day we're living. Because there's a great compromise. That is that we must give something up in order that we come into an agreement with this Babylonian world. I want to tell you something. I'm giving nothing up. You see, compromise, compromise has swept over us, but it didn't happen yesterday. See, Hezekiah, all those years ago, this is something like 15 years before, he says, there's no problem. We can, comp we can bring in, we can compromise the gospel, we can compromise, we don't have to preach sin anymore, we don't have to preach the cross, we don't have to preach the blood anymore, we don't have to preach that there's a heaven and a hell, we don't have to do those things, we can modernize ourselves, we can, we can give something up in order that we can come into agreement so the world will think well of us, and they'll think that we're all together in this and so we can just slowly erode those things which were precious in the house of God have slowly over the years been given over. We don't sing, we do, but we don't hear songs anymore about the blood. We don't hear about that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We don't hear anymore that there's a real God in heaven of his great love and his mercy and he's worthy to be praised and he's worthy this morning that we would give our lives for, for him because we love him. No, no. You can have some type of middle ground religious activity. You can just give God a nod on a Sunday morning. You can just go through the motions of religion. You can do all of that. But friends, I want to tell you something. There's a rise of a Babylonian system. And you need to know. You need to know this morning that we're in the warm-up. We haven't entered into the fullness of this. This isn't it. People are saying, is this it? This is not it. 
This is simply a warm-up for what is about to happen. And the orchestration and the strategy of it all is to just simply put in place. So there's a manifestation of the Antichrist which is upon us. They're moving rapidly already. The Catholic Church are already changing their doctrines in order to move together with the rest of the system. It's already happening. Our own health minister is saying the Catholic Council have already stated that it's safe. So everybody should take it. And I'm certainly not against vaccines. I've had vaccines the travel and so forth. But friends, all I would say to you is this. Make sure, make sure you read up. Make sure you know what's being put into your body. Make sure you know. I challenge you to do it. You read it. You find out for yourself. And so he, go, he gave him the precious things of his house. Friends, what's precious to you? I'm coming to a close in a few moments. I want to ask you what's precious. What's precious to you? What things are precious? Come on, what things are precious to you? If you're sitting this morning, the first thing that comes to your mind is your car, then friends, something's wrong. If you're sitting here this morning, the first thing that comes to your mind is your house, then there's something wrong. Thank God for cars and houses. If you're thinking this morning, the money that you have in your bank account, that's precious to me. If you're thinking this morning that these are the things, the material things, they are the things that are precious to me. I'm going to tell you something. All of those things are for the fire. They're for the fire. And yet men create their own gods, their own idols. They worship their cars. They worship their homes. They, they worship the things that they can purchase with their own hands. And friends, all those things are the temporal things. And they're all for the fire. They're all going on the fire. They mean nothing. Depending on how we use them for the glory of God. Precious things. Hezekiah said to the enemy, come on in. You can take whatever you want from this house. You know what the enemy's going to do? What is he? The thief comes but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, I've got a choice in these days, and you have a choice. What are the precious things relating to the house of God? What's precious? What is precious? Can I tell you something? I want to start with the, with the most important thing that's precious to me this morning. 1 Peter 1 and 18 says these words, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but ye were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's precious. I want to tell you, I thank God for the blood this morning. I thank God if it wasn't for the blood this morning, the man that you're looking at would already be dead and in hell itself. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses a sinner from all sin and it still has the same power this morning. The devil hates the blood because there's healing in the blood. There's deliverance in the blood. There's victory in the blood. Thank God for the blood. It's precious. It's not ordinary blood. It's precious blood. Are you thankful for the blood this morning? I want to tell you these things. These things will never grow old. 
That blood of Jesus Christ, I'm washed, I'm washed in that precious blood. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. There's precious things. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how they've tried to remove the precious things from God's house? Have you seen it? Do you know that you're mocked? Honestly, listen to me, you're mocked for rejoicing in the blood. Do you know there's a lot of gospel preached today, but it's a bloodless gospel. It's not a gospel at all. Let me tell you something else that's precious. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is what it says. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and what? Precious promises. You have some precious. That's precious. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. A billion pounds can't replace this. The precious, exceeding great and precious promises of God this morning. We've got the precious blood. I'm exceeding great and precious promises. Are you standing on the promises? That ye might be partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. I tell you, are you thankful for the precious promises? Are you, are you thankful for the precious blood? What is precious to you? Come on, I'm asking you to ask your own heart, are these things precious? Are these the things that mean the most? Are these the things that are your priorities? Why are the precious promises so important to us? Let me read a couple of verses if I could. And if you turn over to Psalm 91 and verse 5. Psalm 91 and verse 5. This is why... These exceeding great and precious promises are important to the house of God this morning. Psalm 91 and verse 5 says this, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Verse 7, A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt they behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is your refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall be no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Are you thankful for the exceeding great and precious promises? Do you know what I'm thankful for? I know a lot of people got that COVID, some diagnosed, some not diagnosed, but probably all got the COVID. But you know what I'm thankful for? God brought us all through. You know, the cup isn't half full or half empty. The cup, as our sister prayed this morning, is full and running over. Great promises, isn't there? There's another precious thing to the house of God. And if there's been one prayer that I've been praying over these number of months is, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Lord, grant unto your people wisdom. Give us wisdom. Because the deception is going to be so rife. The Bible says that even the very elect can be deceived. If the Bible says that, then friends, I want wisdom. I want to hear from God. Listen to what Proverbs, if you turn to it, 24, and one says, now this is the wisdom that comes from the Holy Ghost, and this is precious. Proverbs chapter 24, and I pray, I've been praying this prayer that God would do this here. Proverbs 1, sorry, Proverbs 24, verse 1. Be not thy envious against evil men, 
neither desire to be with them. For their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Do you know, I've been praying that God would fill the chambers of this house with the precious and pleasant riches and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That the house of God, wherever it meets, is not the building. Wherever they gather in homes and buildings and community centers, whatever it may be. But see that place, that house, that building would be a place where the knowledge and the chambers would be filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. What is that? I want to show you what it is in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, if you turn over. Just a few minutes, I'm going to be closed. Ephesians 1 and 17. What is that wisdom and what is that knowledge? Ephesians 1 and 17 says these words, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that the chambers of the house would be filled with him how does that come it comes by the power of the Holy Ghost he'll bring the chambers and fill them with the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's a precious thing to the church. The other precious thing, of course, is found in 2 Peter 1 and 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter 1 and 1 it tells us this. 2 Peter 1 and 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Friends, this is precious faith. This is precious blood. These are precious promises. This is the wisdom of God. These are the precious things in the house of God. In 1 Peter 1 and 7, Peter says, The trial of your faith, and I know many of you are experiencing the trial of your faith, but this is what the Bible says about the trial of your faith. It's more precious than of gold that perishes. Don't be tried with fire. Listen, friends, you're coming through. I want you to hear me. It says, It might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have some precious things. Hezekiah made a great compromise. A great compromise. Listen, a great compromise. Now I'm coming to a close this morning. But you say, what's that got to do with Babylon? This is a hundred years before King Nebuchadnezzar came up. In 2 Kings 18 and verse 14, the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah had let the enemy into the house and the word of the Lord comes. This is why I believe it was Brother Clinton said he might have just been better going on home when he was sick the first time. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? From whence did they come? Hezekiah said, 2 Kings 18, 14. They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they, what have they seen in thine house? Hezekiah answered and said, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all is in your house, and that which thy fathers have led up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. Ninety years later, King Nebuchadnezzar is knocking on the door of King Zedekiah, and he's saying it's time to go. Who's in control of it all? There's a God on the throne. He's sovereign, and his purposes are being fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city. His servants beseeched it. The prophets began to cry out. They began to plead with God's people. Turn back to God. just want to close with this this morning. Young people, older people, I'm so thankful for the amount of young people that are coming along to the fellowship I want to ask you a question. Have you compromised? Have you compromised? What that means is that you have to give something up in order to come into an agreement. And I know, I do know that it's hard to swim against the stream because the stream in my day isn't as strong as what the stream is today. It's a stronger stream. There is still a stream, but all of us know here, a wee bit older, see the stream today is more like a torrent. So I want you to know that it's it's a tougher day. There's more sin. There's a rise of the Babylonian system, but I want to tell you something. He's still a wonderful Savior, and he's still the lamb that overcomes. He still is. He knows everything about this day. Why? Because he is controlling everything that's happening. Everything's being put in place. Everything's being set up. What's it being set up for? God's going to come for his bride. One day he's going to destroy that whole Babylonian system. It's all going to fall. So if you're trusting in that system, you're going to be disappointed. Young people, listen. Have you compromised? Have you compromised in school? It's not what you are so much in church. But have you compromised? Have you compromised in the workplace? Have you compromised in business? Have you compromised in your dealings? Have you compromised in the things that you watch you know you shouldn't watch? Have you compromised? This is not to condemn you, but have you compromised your life? Do you know how you know you've compromised? Do you know how you feel? You feel so smote and you feel so empty. And the enemy who's your thief will be coming and saying, I'm going to take everything from you. I'm going to take your peace. I'm going to take your joy. I'm going to take your purpose. I'm going to take the plan of God for your life. I'm going to destroy your home. I'm going to destroy you. You're better just get into the word. Listen to me this morning. The thief's a liar. He's a liar. 
and he comes but for to steal and to kill and destroy. He's very good at what he does. He's not a good devil, but he's very good at what he does. And he's been doing it a long time. Let me ask you, have you lost some things? Have you let him into some places? Have you compromised your life in some way that this morning you're going, Oh God, is there actually a way back out of all of this? I'm here to tell you there is a way back. I'm here to tell you that there's a God that still loves you. There's a God that wants fellowship with you. There's a God that wants your life. He's redeemed you with his own precious blood. He's given his life for you. He's a plan for you. He's a purpose for you. He wants you to know his joy and his peace. He wants you to know that that, that flooding of your soul, that power of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to know this: the joy of sins forgiven, a peace in your mind, a peace in your heart, a purpose of God. He wants you to know it this morning. He's pleading with you. The thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But I feel the Lord, I want to tell you, he's still coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But I've let the Lord down a million times. I want to tell you something about God's great forgiveness and the power of the blood. A million and one times he's able to lift you up. Is there a great compromise? A great compromise. And the enemy keeps on pulling and pulling and pulling. I want to tell you something. When you search and seek the Lord with all of your heart, you're going to find him. He wants your heart this morning. Has he got mine? Has he got yours? Oh God, may we be a people by your grace that stand and that we appreciate the precious things of God. There's no other life to live. We're in the last run. I know a lot of people think, well, maybe not. Maybe another couple of hundred years. I want to tell you, friends, we're in the last run. There's a great cloud of witnesses. We're nearly home. It's going to be a glorious day. And it's going to be a glorious church. And he's coming for that bride. And that system's rising. We can see it all rising all around us. Christ is coming. And there's a plead. You know what the plead is? You're going to hear this more. There's a plead from the heart of God. Turn back to me. Prodigals, you get back to me. You turn from feeding down. Listen, how much point man said to me the other day. He says, what the church are doing today. The prodigals are down feeding with the swine. Instead of going down and telling them there's a way back, we just send food parcels down because we don't want the dirty ones in the church. I want to tell you, we want them all in the church. We want the drug addicts. We want the prostitutes. Why? Because that's what we were. Don't forget it, friends. The hole that he's dug us out of. There's still blood that flows. Have you compromised? What's precious to you? What's precious? What's precious? Your soul's precious this morning. So precious that a man gave his life for it. Today, if you hear his voice, don't turn away. Come to Jesus. He wants to give you his life. Let's pray together.